just want to say thank you so much for your support. Uh, those of you watching live stream, we always refer to the missionaries on the back wall. And uh, the reason is because we, we can't really put them on the website. Many of them are in places like this. In fact, we have missionaries in this part of the world. Some we don't even necessarily always put up on there for that reason, uh, because it would endanger them, it would endanger the people that they're reaching. But we're making a difference. I also want you to know we're making a difference not only on the other side of the world in a place like Turkey, which is fast becoming um, the center of Islam, as much as you hear uh, Iran and Iraq and all these places, that they, they're fast becoming uh, a huge force of Islam, and it, and it needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. On top of that, we're reaching people here locally. Uh, this week, there were several um, situations where uh, one young member of our church recently uh, began with the loss of her mother, and then it was followed by the loss of her father, and in between that was the, the uh, departure of her husband, and called up and said, what, what am I supposed to do? I can't, she couldn't even claim her father's body, and uh, she called up and said, can, can we help? And the, the board talked, and we brought finances together and helped Empower to make that happen. Um, that's not necessarily celebration, but it's also to know that your giving is helping people in a very critical moment of their life. On top of this, my mentor, Pastor Tim Schmidt at Calvary Christian Church in Linfield, just lost his mother, and so we are uh, sending flowers to that funeral as well. And then another individual I'm not going to say on live stream because uh, it, we're just quiet, privately journeying with the person, but another person lost their biological father just the day before yesterday. And so uh, there's been a lot of loss in, as of late. And, you know, charity, you ever hear the saying, charity begins at home? It really does. And I just want you to know that we're not just trying to reach the world, but we're also trying to reach our world. And that's what things like Serve Our City are about. We had somebody generously give a $20,000 gift, and it looks like we might be able to, for about 14000 more when that time comes, to get a trailer that will be the equivalent in size to what the storefront at Jacob's Well used to be, which means that it's heated, it's got electricity, it's got air conditioning, which means that we will literally have a mobile ministry to go throughout the city. Uh, but that's still within our reach. It's outside of our grasp. And now more than ever uh, is a time I would encourage you to be generous and uh, would say you can always just take, oh no, my seltzer. It's not soda. But you can always uh, give through taking your phone, 77977. Type in Lola AG to uh, put in their trailer or in even the ongoing generosity that we do. This is the reason why we give tithes and offerings is because it sustains the ongoing things of helping people who, um, when they lose a family member or those kind of things. So uh, I just put that out to you. And this morning I'd like to put out to you the next in our series here of Exodus as we've been walking through and working through the tabernacle. And if you haven't guessed it by now, we are going to talk about the altar of sacrifice. And we're going to hopefully, by the time this is done, teach you some things that you never really considered before. And we are going to close it. We're going to begin it 
with some info so that we learn, and we're going to end it with some revelation so that we burn, and we have a fire inside of us on the altar of our heart to look at some great altar moments in church history. So if you'd stand with me out of reverence for God, and you pray with me, I'm going to ask God to do what I can't, and that's to impact and change your life. Can't do it with words. But God somehow has chosen the foolishness of preaching to do this, and so we're going to believe it. Maybe you're here and you're serving in some place. My encouragement to you is, is you wouldn't get so lost in your serving that you wouldn't be listening to what God could be speaking to you today. Maybe you've got something on your mind later on today that you need to do, or you're watching live stream and you're in the middle of multitasking. My encouragement is, is that you carve a space for God right now in your attention span, whether you're online or here, and let God speak and change your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the power of the presence of your spirit. I pray that you would speak, Lord, not just in this room, but across the airways online as people are watching and listening. I pray that you would capture our heart and attention, devotion and sacrifice, Lord, in the altar of our life, in the tabernacle of our dwelling, Lord, that you would fill us with your presence and you'd fill us with your spirit and your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the altar of... You may be seated. Thank you so much. And if you're standing up online, thank you so much. I'm coming right back to where I was. I'm just grabbing my phone over here. And I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to read chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. Exodus 27, 1 through 8 here as we go through the book of Exodus the bronze altar. So we're going to use this as a jumping point. But here it goes. Ready? You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. You want to know what a cubit is? It's the distance between an elbow and the tip of your finger. So you can go one, two, three. Obviously, this one isn't five by five. It's, an, it's not exact to scale, but enough that we can do it. And we thank North Point Bible College for letting us borrow this for this chance, but it was five of those by five by five. So the altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits, and you shall make horns for it on the four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. So here, horn is a sign of strength. It's a sign of power. I don't know if you've ever seen a bull up close I don't know what it is with those people that love doing the run of the bulls in Spain where they just like a bunch of idiots run down the street while the bulls chase after them. But I just saw what they called, it was a video clip called The Luckiest Man Alive. The guy totally got hit from behind by, by a bull thrown up in the air landed. One bull went to, to, at that point, he was about to gore him to death with his, his horn, and out of nowhere, another bull runs and hits the other bull, and the guy escapes, but, but just, just this close. It was like, how many of you ever do that, where you're just going online, and you're watching something, and all of a sudden, it's like 25 of the most outrageous things ever done, you know, 16 of the craziest pictures, and I'm like, the luckiest man alive. You aren't kidding. 
a horn on a bull, or more importantly, the bull behind the horn, was strength, it was power. And that's why this is on the altar, the horns of the altar, where the Bible talks about grab a hold of the horns of the altar. It's a picture for prayer saying, oh God, I'm not going to let go. I don't care that it's hot. I don't care that it's smoky. I don't care. I need your mercy. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your hope. I need your provision. I need your peace. I need reconciliation. Whatever it is, God, I hold on. The same way that a bull would just charge at something, that's that symbol of I'm holding on to it with every bit that I have within me. And that's the meaning behind the horns of the altar. Kings were anointed with emptied out horns and filled with oil, poured over their heads. So it's significant. Then it says that you shall overlay it with bronze, specific metal, very important, and we'll get into that in a bit. You shall overlay it with bronze. Verse 3, you shall make posts for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans, and you shall make it all its utensils of bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze. You shall go also and make for it a, gra a grating and a network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings and four corners, and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that, it, it's, so that the net, that basically they're talking about a grill. Great, here's what they're describing. So that's easier to say it. And that the poles themselves that would slide in when they had to make this thing mobile when they were going place to place, those were to be made of bronze as well. And put through the ring so that the poles are on two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards, and it shall, as it has been shown to you on the mountain, so it shall be made. So what, what's happening here is God is saying to Moses, time to put, into, to put into practice and into construction what I showed you on the mountain. And if you look into the book of Hebrews, there's a verse that's found in chapter 8, verse 5, that says that these serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For Moses was about to, uh, to erect the tent when he was instructed by God, see that you make everything according to the pattern as it was shown to you on the mountain. In other words, there was this moment where Moses was on the mountain, he was receiving the Ten Commandments, but God gave him a vision, maybe God gave him an an actual site, the heavens were opened, and the very thing that they built here on earth, the tabernacle, was the very thing that he saw in heaven. And if you read the book of Hebrews, it describes Jesus as our priest who is ever interceding before the Father for us. So they serve as a shadow, as a principle, as an idea of what goes on in heaven. And thank God for Jesus, who is our heavenly priest, that ever intercedes for you and I before the Father. You may have moments in your life where you feel like you don't have friends. You may have other times in your life where you may feel like you don't have any Anyone calling you or thinking about you or writing you or inviting you out, but you have Jesus Christ, our great high priest, always standing before the Father, ever interceding for your life. That's good news. Now, the priest also had garments. I saw my son slip out, and he's not, that's, thank you so much. I think he, he went, like, he was bunk in church. 
So uh, Vivian, why don't you come on up here? Equal right. The, we, we, our sacrifice isn't perfect here, so we're, we're, we're just going, we're going off chapter here. Say it again. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was Vivian. That was you. So if you, if you would, just kindly put this on real quick. You'll figure it out. Now, don't start saying Allah or anything like that. Okay, that's not the right outfit. It's not the same outfit. As she's getting that on. Uh, am I right that we have slides in place? Okay. It's not my size. It's not your size. It's not your size. Well, just for that, put this hat on. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> oh, my heavens, she said. My heavens. So she's doing that, and I'm getting this set here. Uh, we, yes, it does. Uh, I don't see it in here. I'm so sorry. Uh, today's the 18th, isn't it? Yes, I do. Today's the 27th. Today's the 27th. Yeah, uh, I see 627. There, that's where we are, June 27. Stay away from drugs, kids. They'll ruin you forever. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. So, talking about the altar. Boom. So, here we go. We have our pre-stat. And by the way, God is a fan of women in ministry. This is an old argument that isn't even really an argument anymore. But like, just so you know, you, you flexing for everybody here? Would you zoom in on that? Zoom in on that. Look at those cannons. Boom, boom. Here to do the sacrifice. And if you would reveal our offering today. Now, I want to say to my Jewish friends, that my Messianic Jewish friends, please forgive me. They did not have lamb. I just, you got to do it aggressively. Get that. Come on, quickly. Come on. Here we go. Yeah. All right, priestess. It's stuck. It's stuck. It's stuck. She says it's stuck. Here he is, or here she is, Piglita. Now, I know that in, uh, in the, now we're a Gentile church. This is going out to Veranda. Veranda, for you, you bacon-loving lady, this is especially for you. We have ourselves here an offering. I tried getting lamb, but they had no lamb. And then they said, all we have is, is pig. And I said, we've got somebody in our church that everything is bacon. And so we went for it. It's not sacrilegious because we do not offer sacrifices on altars anymore. And we also happen to be Gentile. Is there anybody here that is a practicing Messianic Jew? Are you here and you're a practicing Messianic Jew? So we're good. We're okay. All right, so the high priest would, but didn't have, would have a thing on, her, on his head, her head, said, holy to the Lord. That's what it says in Hebrew there. And so what they would do is, is they would light the fire. They would touch the pig. Yeah. They would lick the pig. No? <laughs> they, would, they would hug the pig. They would hug the pig. Just would you? I just wanted to see if she'd do that. She did. <laughs> okay. So, me neither. I'm not afraid of the big bad wolf either, just for the record. But childhood, childhood stories there. So awesome. You're styling that pig. Why don't you put a flex up there again so we get the, you get a picture of that? That's pretty good. So there we go. All right, thank you. You can take that with you for now, and we'll get it from you later. Here goes the, if you'd uh, fold it up and throw it in there later. 
So here's, here's kind of how the setup would be. They'd have a whole bunch of these altars. If you go through the land of Israel, and for those of you that are going with us in October, absolutely, absolutely awesome. But everywhere you go, there are altars. Not just altars to God, but pagan altars that are still around, like this Canaanite altar that has steps in it. It's made of stone. It's got steps in it for reasons we can't get into. It, it's, it, it's not official, just like this is not a kosher offering. That's not a kosher altar. They would often have pillars and gods that would be statues in that place. Down in the south of the country, they've got a whole worship center that's set up for an altar, but then inside, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough that God could be God. They had to set up an image of a stone, and then they thought, well, if God is God, then he's, there's got to be a Mrs. God, and so they create idolatry here that the, that the Bible ta- speaks against all the way back to the time of the book of Exodus, all the way through the book of Kings and Chronicles, and here's a pagan altar, uh, a pagan holy of holies, and then there are other altars all throughout the land. We've got um, different kinds of things like the meat fork that they would stick in there, the plate, the sickle for harvesting. All of these different things are there. And in fact, to this day, to this day, the Samaritans are still around that date back all the way to the time of Jesus. They've been following their lineage and have continued there when the Jews were kicked out of Israel out of, and were forbidden to see Jerusalem in the time of shortly after Jesus. From that time until they came back, the Samaritans continued in there. And this is actually a Samaritan Passover. And you're looking right there at the Samaritan high priest. Doesn't he look grouchy? He's pretty grouchy, but that's his son. And this was actually taken back in 1992. And what was really cool is that Pastor Dylan and I went back and we got to actually hang out for the afternoon with, their, with his grandson, who is now the next person in line to be the next Samaritan priest. Now, the Samaritans had some things about them that were... That were uh, they, embraced the Pen- they embraced the Pentateuch, they embraced the Torah, but they were considered still in ancient Israel that they were not right with God because they also intermingled with other religions and those kind of things. But even to this day, you have this stuff going on. And so at the altar, what would they do? They'd sacrifice cows. They'd sacrifice lambs. They'd sacrifice goats. And you know what? God is the God of the sliding scale. He said, if you can't afford... A bull, if you can't afford a lamb, if you can't afford a goat, you bring yourself in a bird, a dove. And that was, that was God's slided scale. But he said, nobody shall appear before me empty-handed, but you shall come into my presence with an offering. And people would bring in the harvest. And you have to understand that up until 100 years ago, 90% of the world were farmers and herdsmen. So this was them bringing in the livelihood of their blessing, of their business, of their livelihood. And each year, three times a year, they would come in for different reasons and participate in all of these festivals. And really, to put it as simple as we can, the altar in Israel and the setting that took place there looked more like a barbecue with significance related to God and to us. They would cook the offering. Some of the offerings were, were you got to eat some of what you brought, but then 
certain parts of it were left and it was burnt and it went up to God and it describes it as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a sweet fragrance. Some of the parts would go to the priests and they would eat that. Some of the parts, you would come in with certain offerings and you would offer it up and you and your family would sit down and have a meal in the temple that was called a peace offering and it was believed that God's presence would dine and sup with you. That sound familiar? That's the language of Jesus. That's the language of Passover. And it was believed that if you didn't have peace in your life, that God would show up while you were eating that meal in the presence of God, and he would give you peace. It's a beautiful offering. It's a beautiful truth. Sometimes I'll take lunch, and I'll walk off somewhere alone, and I'll say, oh God, maybe you had a stressful work environment, and you just walk off, and you're like, Lord, I can't take this. I need your presence. I need your peace. And I'm going to sit here, and as I eat, I'm just going to believe that you're going to be here with me, and you're going to help me. How many of you have those kind of work environments online or here that, that is just intense? It's challenging. God wants to give us peace in there. Well, take a look, or not. You can listen. But what's interesting, let's talk about the metals here for a second. Everything that was outside of the Holy of Holies. Now, behind here, inside the, the holy place in the Holy of Holies, was the table of showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense, and then there was another veil, and then there was the Holy of Holies, which was considered to be the very throne of God, where God would sit on it. Inside was, uh, were the Ten Commandments. Inside were some, was some of the manna that was collected in the wilderness, and inside of it was Aaron's rod that b blossomed and gave an almond to show God's leadership. And, and the, it was believed that the Lord would sit over that. And it was, it was God who sat down on that throne. It was, there was no king in Israel because God was supposed to be their king. In fact, in the book of Judges, it says, in a time where Israel had no king, each man did what seemed right in his own eyes. But in the time of Moses, Moses was a priest, and it said that God was their king. And I believe with all of my heart, regardless of what governments we've been under, regardless of what countries that we have lived in, regardless of what places we've had to participate in, no matter what is going on around us, and each one does what seems right in their own eyes, what matters is, is, is that the kingdom of heaven is in your heart, and that you are letting God rule and reign over your life. See, right, right in this point, it would be easy to say, well, I just don't think that these kind of things have relevance for me, right? And we talk about this a lot in our church because we talk about saying, well, I've been set free from the law. Have you fully really been set free from the law? What does that mean? Well, praise God. If I've been set free from the law, then I'm no longer subject to the law, and so I can just totally do whatever I want. I can sleep with who I want. I can kill who I want. I can take what I want. That doesn't make any sense. When you begin to talk like that, that doesn't make any sense. What we're saying is, is that we no longer are made right by, before God by observing the law and observing festivals and doing those things, but we are made right by the one and only true sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. But we're still, we, now we don't have to have high priests and we don't have to have um, 
uh, barbecues, although we do that on Father's Day. We actually do pig roasts, and it's awesome. We get a mechanical bull in here. We just couldn't do it this year. Th those kind of things are there. But, but these things, before you say, well, we, we're not under the law anymore. They don't mean anything to us. You need to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this. It says, you, not me, the pastor, you, you, and you, regardless of your age, regardless of your education, regardless of your field of work, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were, a, you were not a people... He's talking to Gentiles here. He's saying, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank God for the mercy of Jesus. Where would we be without it? And look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. The whole reason we get to be his people, his priests. By your blood, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And if, before you really throw this out, don't forget that 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you understand, don't you know, haven't you figured this out? You are God's temple. Of the, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit dwells within you. These things, these steps, these processes, all kind of are a step-by-step -step thing of what it's like to approach God. They're shadows of what is, is going on in heaven. And Jesus is not up in heaven dressed in jeans with a shirt like this and a microphone, but he's probably more dressed up like a high priest making intercession for you and for me. And this is the brilliance of the message of the tabernacle for our life. First of all, the metal, it's a bronze altar. It's not a steel altar. It's not an iron altar. It is a bronze altar. It's overlaid. We talked about the horns, but we also talk about the metal. The metal bronze is, you, you have the, an entire age in history called the Bronze Age. The Philistines mastered it. You read in, in chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel, when David goes up against Goliath, he's got a bronze helmet, he's got bronze armor, bronze greaves, and he's holding a bronze sword with a bronze javelin. This is the medal of judgment. It's the medal of warriors. Not only that, but when you look in the Bible, whenever God is talking about judgment or God's instruments of judgment, his angels or Jesus in the book of Daniel, you read that there was one that stood before them and his calves and his feet were like burnished, burning, polished bronze. And you see the same thing in the book of Revelation in chapter uh, 1, verse 5. I saw him, his face was like lightning, he, his hair was like wool, his feet looked like bronze glowing in the furnace. It's a picture of judgment. What's interesting to me, and what should be interesting to you, what you should never become familiar with, is that you're not getting into that thing called the presence of God without first passing this thing called the bronze altar. 
In the order of approaching God, we always and always need to deal with our junk. We always need to humble ourselves before him. We always need to acknowledge that he's the one that provides for us by offering sacrifice to him. And it says this about the, 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 the in Deuteronomy 17, uh, I believe it's 16, 16, it says three times a year the Jewish people would come before the Lord for a feast of booth, feast of, of um, for the Passover and for the Feast of Pentecost. And he says this specifically, do not come before me empty-handed. Don't come before me empty-handed. Be generous. And the temple was the place that would use these foods to feed the poor, use these grains to sell it, to take care of people's debts, all these kinds of different things. The tabernacle was there. But you go no further to the presence of God without first being confronted with your sin. I had a friend of mine say this once to me. He said, Paul, unless somebody is willing to admit that they're sick, they'll never look for a cure. See, if I just come in and I'm to the presence of God, and I'm just like, yeah, amen. You know, many times I watch so, uh, so many of you, those of you uh, live stream, and I don't necessarily see this, but, but it could be going on in your home where you come and before church starts, you just kind of bow your head and you're like, Lord, you, you're at this altar. Oh, you might not, we might not have it here and you might not be up front here. I can't wait until we begin to see the culture of the altar restored because we need a restored altar. But in your heart, you close your heart, eyes and you're like, Lord, just please help me for my impatience. Help me for my temper. Lord, forgive me for these things. You see, you don't just rush into the presence of God singing songs. No, the Lord was like, stop. First things first. Get right with me. Get right with me. Unless you're willing to admit you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. There's no one with sin. We all need this. But what's interesting is, is that we think, well, you know, the sacrificial system's done. It's all over. It means nothing. And I mean, those verses that are there help us see a little bit more that, that that's, that's that kind of uh, a thing that's, that's taking place. But there's a maintenance when it comes to a relationship with God, too, and that is seen in Leviticus 6, chapter 12, verse, chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, where it talks about the maintenance. Now, hang with me here, because I want to give you this information so that we can dive into some revelation. But, but this is why a lot of people don't preach on this kind of thing, is, is because we have to wade through some stuff. But wade through it with me, because it's worth it. It says about this altar that was here in Israel, this one that God told his people to erect, this one that is a symbol of an, of an altar of our heart, that, that we come before God, that we offer up praise to him, that we offer up sacrifice to him. He says this, he says, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall not burn wood, the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Now, I'm your pastor, and I love you, but I'm just going to say this to those of you listening online, to those of you up in the media booth, to those of you out in the foyer, and to every single one of you here in this room, is that God 
in a relationship with him requires that we kindle and keep a fire burning in our heart, a fervent fire ready to sacrifice, a fire ready to consume sacrifice, a fire that is always, whether it's flaming high or it's just simply coals, but that we never let that grow out. And I watch so many people, not just in our community, but in church communities across the country and in some places where friends are across the world, where when COVID shut everything down, social media and, and television switched up and everybody just let the altar of their heart grow cold. Jesus says it like this, I would rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I want, I want to spit you out of your mouth, you out of my mouth. Like God doesn't like that half fervent life. He's looking for a, it's not to say that he prefers cold necessarily either, but I, what he would want for us is to have a fervent life, a heart that's burning. And why does this fire burn? It burns for the purpose of sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of resource, a sacrifice of love. For some of us, it's hard for us to sacrifice kind words, a sacrifice of deeds, what a sacrifice of service. But this pastor is not here to do that for you. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And for many of you here listening to me right now, God has seen your service. God has seen your sacrifice. God has seen your prayers. God has heard your prayers. God knows your, your generosity, and he keeps that in mind, and he will forever watch over you. And it is through a fervent fire in our life that makes us continue to be in a right place with God. Without fire, the altar was useless. It was useless. And here's the crazy part of it, too. You see, we rush so quickly to praise and worship, right? But the Bible says that in order to go into prayer, one had to take a coal from the altar, and that hot coal was mixed with incense and that incense was put on the altar of incense. In other words, you were not allowed to light incense or prayer before God unless it came from the altar of sacrifice. So before you go deeper into the presence of God, listen, all these things mean so much. The 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 tabern the, the, yesterday when we were in prayers on Saturday uh, at nine o'clock nine a.m. we were here there were a group of us and all of a sudden it just hit me like when you when you go into the presence of God that there's this process of not only the altar and not only the menorah like we're to be a light and we get that and probably some of us always feel like we don't shine bright enough but but God knows your personality it's not the loud light it's the bright light that shines. But, but when you walked in there, you couldn't even get into the presence of God without acknowledging the table of showbread, which was a symbol of God providing for them in the wilderness. You, 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 the reason why some of us are so dissatisfied is, is that we don't take time to thank God for what we have. We're consumed with what we want or what we wish we had or what we no longer possess. And what God wants us to do is to say, hey, if you're going to come before my presence, if you're going to come into my presence with singing and into my courts with praise— Listen, 1 
first admit that you're sick and then I can heal you. Come to this altar and let me, let me, and keep a fire on it and be ready and know that this altar is called sacrifice. It's the place of sacrifice. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be free. Nobody else is going to pay the price for it. Nobody can pay the price of your offering to God except you. Your parents can't pay the offering for you. God has no grandchildren. Only children. And he kept it proportionate. But think about this. All of the things on incense, I'm just going to skip over a bunch of stuff. Think Think about the sacrifices here. Let me just walk these. Here. And they're found in the book of Leviticus. And what's interesting is that Leviticus, it, it literally is the book of priests, right? But it's actually not speaking to the priests as much as it's speaking to the people. If you look at the offerings, for example, in the book of Leviticus, there are about five chapters that are dedicated to the people explaining the sacrifices. And then there's two chapters that are just simply directed to the priests. That almost doesn't make sense to me because you would think, you know, the priests are the ones that are supposed to be offering up the sacrifice and how to fillet it and how to how to how to marinate it and you know all that kind of stuff. I figured they would be, you know, what to do and how to do. I figured the more of it would be spoken to the priests than the people because like that's it, but no. Actually, it was the people that had to understand these sacrifices. It was you and I that had to understand what they were about, why they were about, how they were about. Because he's speaking to us about it more than he's speaking to the priests. But look at this. When you, here, are the, here are the different ones that we have. We've got, we've got the whole burnt offering. Let me translate that for you and pronounce it in Hebrew. It'll sound, you, all of a sudden you'll be like, ah, oh, it's called Holocaust. Holocaust. Holocaust offering was lit and it was completely consumed with fire so that not one person got one bite from the offering. That was during the Holocaust. The Jewish people were like, we're like an offering to God. There was nothing left for us. Nothing left for our children. Nothing left of our people. We all went up in ash. That's profound when, when it was described that way as the Holocaust. But that whole burnt offering, what does it look like for you and I today? You know what it looks like? It looks like it's, it was an offering that was given that was just basically a way of saying, God, I love you so much, and I acknowledge that all that I have is because you have blessed me, and you, can, you are the one that helps me, not me. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to take this whole animal, and I'm going to light it up, and I'm not even going to look for prime rib. I'm not even going to ask for uh, uh, London broil from you. I want to give this whole thing to you, and they would offer it up to God completely. That would be like you buying your favorite car of all time and driving it to church and covering it with kerosene. Don't use gasoline because it... But you cover it with kerosene, light it, and just burn it, and just be like, that's how much I love you. 
<laughs> like a foot touchdown, right? I give you that touchdown. You give the Lord your Ferrari. That's, that's an extreme offering. That's what God was saying to his people, like, hey, how much do you love me? He turned to the rich young ruler and he said, how much do you love me? He says, uh, do you, you want to follow me? He said, okay, before you do that, sell everything you have and then come follow me. That was an extreme line. And then you've got the grain offering. Now again, 90% of the people were farmers. That was, a, that was basically them giving God a portion of their business, a portion of the harvest, usually at Pentecost, which is that ingathering is literally what it is. And then you had the peace and the fellowship offering, which was really like communion, like what I talked about, where you're eating in the presence of God. It was called, listen to this, I'll say it to, to you, and it's just like that word holocaust, this one is significant. It's called the shalom offering. Now, everybody walks around and they say shalom, and they think, well, it just means peace. Oh, it's so much more than that. It means to be whole, complete, and unbroken, regardless of what is breaking against your life. That's where sometimes we need the peace of God that passes understanding because we just don't even understand what in the world's going on in our life or how we're going to endure it. And that's where we need to come before God and say, oh, God, give me peace because I, don't, I can't find it. Then, of course, the famous sin offering. If there is one offering that looked like Jesus, it would simply be this one right here, the sin offering. It was offered up for our sins. Jesus was, uh, uh, was offered once and for all on the cross. We don't have to keep bringing sin offerings before God because God has made it right. Thank God for Jesus. And if you've never watched or listened to the Simple Gospel series we did when we were still kind of opening up early on, you need to, because one of the things that God hates along with us here at this church is legalism. Legalism will destroy your life just as, as powerfully as heroin can. And you, not only that, but even worse, just like heroin, you'll also drag other people into legalism with you, and we'll, we'll be missing the grace of God. Nobody's ever good enough. Nobody's ever going to be good enough. But it, we're not talking about, you know, admitting we're sick. We know that. We need God's healing and forgiveness. We need reconciliation with him. But if we're ever insecure before God, knowing, you know, saying, I know, I know he loves me, people, but I don't know if he loves me. And no, of course he loves you. And there's no sin, pin... Uh, pit so deep that God's love, as Corey Tamboon said, isn't deeper still. Not only that, but on top of this offering, there was what was called the guilt or the restitution offering. Let me actually put these in here like that. The last one there, the guilt, the second to last in this order here, the guilt of the restitution offering. This one was when you weren't right with somebody this way. See, I want to get right with God, but how often and how quickly do you want to get right with other people? I'll never forgive them. Well, your Heavenly Father says it like this. If you will not forgive others of their sins against you, how can your Heavenly Father forgive you? That's a clause in there. That's kind of fine. That's not even fine print. That's Blatant. The guilt offering is the one where it's talking about where Jesus says, if you go to the altar and you know that somebody has ought against you, leave your offering there, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and place your offering. He's talking about the guilt offering. Not only would you give 
the offering in the temple, but you also would give that person a purse of change, which is really like a bag of money, and say, please forgive me for the damages of my bitterness. Imagine, hey, here's, here's a thought for you. How broke would you be if you had to pay out one week's paycheck for every time you were bitter, rude, or inappropriate, or sinful to somebody else? How many of you would be broke? Thank you for your honesty and your candor. Maybe that's something that we need to fix in our lives. Maybe this does have relevance to us. Oh, not that we're, you know, got to build an altar and do that, but maybe we need to realize that, you see, there is a cost for our sin. There is a cost for peace. There is a cost. What's interesting about these offerings, if you notice, three of them that are in yellow, those three right there, they have absolutely nothing to do with sin. Did you ever think about that? Everybody talks about, well, Jesus died for our sin, and, you know, we're, we're done, and, you know, and I'd say to you, well, there's enough in the New Testament that says that the symbolism of this has a lot of relevance for our lives and, and is a shadow of what's going on in heaven, but, but the principles here of, like, sometimes we should go the extra mile for God and say, Lord, here is that thing that I cherish. It's yours. Here, here is a part of my business. It's yours. God, I need peace, and I'm going to eat in your presence. And God says, it's yours. But then we sometimes have to get right horizontally with people, and we need to do what's called restitution. It's not, everybody talks about repentance, but what about restitution? Restitution costs your dignity. It costs it costs your pride, and it costs sometimes even restoring to somebody that which you damaged, but it's an important part of getting right with God vertically. We have to be right with people horizontally. James says it like this, if you say you love God who you can't see and hate your brother who you can see, you lie. The truth's not in you. It might be on you, it might be near you, it might be next to you, but it's not in you because how much do you love God? You love God as the least lovable person in your life because we're created in the image of God. And this restitution offering, this guilt offering, was, was God's way of saying, hey, you're going to need to get right with me. There are going to be times where you're going to need peace. There are times where I need to see that you're really devoted and it's going to cost you. And there are times where I need you to have a rhythm of generosity in your life. But there's going to come a moment sometime where you're going to need to get it right with somebody and it is going to cost you. And in order to be my child... Are you willing to pay that price of your pride? See, one offering, the sin offering, is the only one that had to do with this. And we say to ourselves, well, I'm not under the law. It has no relevance to me. And yet this has profound, profound significance for us making things right in our life. What it looks like to have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, with peace in our life, but more importantly, with peace with other people. The bronze altar. Let me just close here by just giving you three altar moments. I want to just share this with you. We've gone through all this info. It's very relevant, the metal, the horns, the offerings that are placed there, what that means. But think, think about these three moments, and I, I won't go into them in detail. The first altar moment I thought of was when David is in Jerusalem and the temple, the tabernacle has been sitting in Shiloh and then it got moved to somebody's house for a while and then finally David says, I need to, I need to, we need to start offering sacrifices to God. 
So he goes in and he meets a guy whose name is Aruna, and he says to him, he says, hey, Aruna, that, that place that you have, your threshing floor where you thresh your wheat there in Jerusalem, that is prime real estate. That's the Temple Mount, by the way. It's where the Dome of the Rock is today, where Solomon's temple was built, where Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple, where Herod expanded the temple. And he said to him, I, I, I want that. I want that. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord responded to his plea. Think about this for a second. Here's the principle. Number one, when it comes to a life, being a child of God, Old Testament, New Testament, you need to get something straight in your life. Sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. Well, I'll take care of that. I'll, you know, many times we want someone to just swoop in and write the check and pay the bill. And, but that doesn't work that way. I remember when Calvary, when we started, it was 320 people when I started there. When I left, we were at 1,200 people. And it was great, great process to be a part of. And I turned to one of my friends. I know somebody who is a multi, multi-millionaire. And I was just like, oh, man, I wish <coughs> so-and-so would just write the check. And my friend looked at me and said, no, no, goodness, that would be the worst thing. I said, why? He said, because then it's that person's church. It's supposed to be our church. We're supposed to do our part. We're supposed to pay our part. We're supposed to participate in that. Paul, sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. And just as sure as God had a, a, a goat and he had a cow, and he had a lamb. He also had a bird because God works on a slided scale. David refused to accept. The guy at Runa's at the temple, he's saying, here's a, let me give you all of the animals. Let me give you the place for free. Let me give you everything you need, David. And he said, no, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And if we never are willing to pay the price, we never will experience and receive the presence in the way that God intends for our life. But David drew a principle there that I think for us with altars, I will not, the first altar in Jerusalem there, I will not offer that which has cost me nothing. Sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. Second thing is this. Some of us, we need to rebuild the altar. Years later, after the Israelites were in captivity and they came back, in Ezra chapter 3, 1 through 7, it says that they rebuilt the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place and it, for fear was on them because of the people of the lands and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. That burnt offering is, is that whole cow, morning and evening. 
They were refugees. They were surrounded by enemies. They were outnumbered. Nobody wanted them to succeed. Everybody was working against them to undermine them. Nehemiah was trying to rebuild the wall, Ezra, and the people were trying to rebuild the altar. And they said, let's start with the most important part. If we're going to start this thing, we need to have the fear of God over the fear of men. Let's build an altar. They could have said, no, we need to build a wall. We need to hedge our bets. We need to secure our future. They said, but it says that there was fear on them because of the people, but clearly they feared God more than they feared others. How many of us, when we're in that place and somebody's talking about their desperate situation, that is the moment where you need to stop worrying about whether or not they'll think you're strange and you bring up and say, hey, listen, I I know you're going through a tough time, but let me tell you about the God who answers when you call upon him. Let me introduce you to the God that answers by fire. Let me tell you, like, would it be something, and you don't have to be weird like that. You can just simply be like, you know, in times like this in my life, I realized this is when I invite God into my situation. Would it be okay if I pray for you right now? Sometimes we say, hey, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. I've learned you got to pray for that person right there. Rebuild the altar in your life. Some of you used to be people of sacrifice, and right now church is just kind of optional for you. Christianity and Christian values are optional. Those of you watching by live stream, but sacrifice isn't sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. And every single one of us needs an altar in our life, and if you don't have one, Ezra and Nehemiah show us clearly we need to rebuild one. Last but not least, this is the most important point I want to make for you today. Is Abraham offering up Isaac? In Genesis chapter 22, God says this. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love... And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, what's interesting, the reason why David wanted to buy that threshing floor is because that is the exact spot where Abraham was about to offer up Isaac. You see, the significance of the temple in Jerusalem is significant to the Jewish people because it's where it all began. The Mount. Mount Moriah is how you pronounce it. Mount Moriah is how it often gets pronounced. It's the place where Abraham was asked by God for him to offer up the greatest blessing he had ever experienced in his life. Think about this. Isaac, Abraham, he's he's an old man. His wife's womb's barren. God says, I'm going to give you a child. He gives him a child. He finally has that child of promise. And now all of a sudden, the very blessing that God brought into his life, God says, I want you to lay it down as a whole burnt offering. I don't know how many people would have the resolve to do that. But he was determined. In fact, he had the knife raised and the angel said, don't lay a hand on the child. For now I know Now I know that you fear God. What's the principle there at that altar moment? Simply this. It's the reason why so many of us don't encounter God the way we used to or haven't really encountered God in the way we need to. 
is that unless you're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, you will never encounter the ultimate blessing. Unless you're willing to give that to God, which is dearest to you, and offer it to him, unless you're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, you'll never experience the ultimate blessing, being his presence, his provision, his power. Some of us, we hold our pennies and our dollars and our nickels so tight. Abraham Lincoln and George Washington are crying. Some of us were so worried about what people would think we keep our life of faith private. Some of us are so into our life of faith that we, we keep our kids and our whole family. And, you know, the question would be is, all right, you have people of faith that you know. How many people who are not Christians do you know? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Let me give you those three principles. Sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. David said, I will not offer that which costs me nothing. Two, is that a broken altar results in a broken life. And you need to rebuild the altar in your life to rebuild the relationship with Jesus that you once had. And last but not least, Abraham being the incredible example that he is, unless you're willing to offer the ultimate sacrifice, you'll never experience the ultimate blessing. The altar of sacrifice. That's why it's called what it is. And for many contemporary Christian movements across the country and different places in the world, it's become the altar of convenience instead of the altar of sacrifice. And I wonder if you and I could whether you're watching online or you're here, could stand to your feet. And we, I don't like making promises I can't keep, but I also realize sometimes I can't keep them. So when I respond to God in my altar call way, I just kind of make a promise to him and say, Lord, I'm not gonna promise that I'm gonna get this right every time. I'm not gonna promise to get this in perfection, but I am gonna make some change in my direction and begin to live my life in such a way that says that you are the most important thing in this world. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, whether we're online now or in this place, we just say to you, you're the most important thing in our life. But my goodness, sometimes the things you ask are pretty hard. But if you could endure a cross if you were willing to leave the convenience of heaven and endure what you did for us, then we can offer you the sacrifice of praise. Lord, I ask that you would give us a heart after Abraham, a heart after David, a heart after Ezra, that we'd rebuild the altar of our fathers, that we would not sacrifice that which cost us nothing, but a whole burnt offering to you. And that, Lord, that we would experience the ultimate blessing in our life because we're willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. We give you glory and praise. 
We don't promise to get this perfect. We're changing direction. We're not walking in perfection. But God, help us that our life would be a sweet aroma to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Go in grace. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Feel free to sit here quietly if you want while the music continues to play. And uh, feel free if you have places to go. You can slip out quietly. God bless you.